Welcome to Tuesday Morning Nickelback on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got plenty to get to today. What is Tuesday Morning Nickelback, you might ask? Well, anyone can be a, you know, Monday morning quarterback, come in hot with the next day's take, second guess. Not everyone can let the football just kind of stew for an extra day then analyze all the different things that happened in you know both the Vikings and Gophers through a different lens, all while incorporating one of Canada's preeminent rock bands. So you could expect four things every Tuesday on Daily Delivery during the football season. One, film review with Vikings writer Andrew Kramer, where he will help me dissect and analyze a key play and maybe even a key player from the most recent game this week. We'll take a look at Bashad Breland, and in particular, a long touchdown at the end of the Vikings' 27-24 loss to the Bengals at the end of that first half on uh, on Sunday. Number two, you can expect my least favorite team is my favorite team. Longtime friend Keith Rashad and I will basically replay our weekly Vikings text chain, but in uh, in verbal form. Number three, you can get a Gophers recap with beat writer Randy Johnson. We'll look back and spin forward to the latest from PJ Flex team, and you will hear me speak in the midst of casual conversation, I guess, a song lyric from Nickelback. That will be your cue to hit me up on Twitter, at Ramball, to win a weekly prize. Just tell me what the lyric was, and you will be entered to win. Got it? Let's get to it, shall we? This is Tuesday morning Nickelback. We talk only football on Tuesdays, and occasionally um, on every show we mix in one Nickelback song lyric. Andrew Kramer, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm looking for my beach ball. I'm ready to get it going at the concert here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, Andrew Kramer will join me every uh, every week for film review. He does a great job of that in the Star Tribune and on StarTribune.com. I believe that will be online Tuesdays generally as well. So go look for a more detailed breakdown of a lot of different plays from the most recent Vikings game. In this case, the 27-24 loss to the Bengals. What I want to do with Andrew every week is kind of zero in on one particular play or aspect of the game. And Andrew, it, it struck me that the end of the first half was a pretty big turning point in, in that game. It was 7-7. You know, Cincinnati gets on the board late. Vikings get the ball back. About a minute and a half left. All three timeouts. They end up having to punt pretty quick. You know, Cincinnati gets the ball back. I think they only had one timeout. You're maybe thinking field goal at, at the worst. You're going to go in 10-7, but it's right at midfield, and they decided to take a shot, and that's the one. That's the play I want to talk about. Um, the the deep shot, the connection from you know from Joe Burrow to his uh, old college team, old college teammate Jamar Chase. What happened on the play in question? Yeah, obviously it was, you mentioned just such a critical point in the game for the Vikings being tied at 7-7. Their defense was playing well, and, and that included Breland um, up until a certain point when the afternoon, it just turned so quickly on him. Um, and it started there with really with this play. Um, he'd given up a couple plays earlier and obviously had that DPI, but this play, you got the Bengals at midfield. They're sitting at the 50-yard line. It's maybe a minute left in the game, like yeah, you said. Even, I, not even I in think, the half. I think it was like 45, 50 seconds, something like that. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, uh, Burrow had already completed this. was three straight throws, kind of marched him into midfield. And you're thinking, like, yeah, if it's a 50-yard touchdown. So they're directly at midfield at this point. So Mike Zimmer uh, dials up a blitz to try to get the pressure on Burrow, get the ball out quick, make, make, make him burn some time because they didn't have their full uh, plethora of timeouts at that point. And 
what happens is you have Eric Kendricks, you have, I think, Nick Vigil also blitzing on the play, and the Bengals pick it up. The Bengals' offensive line was really kind of the underrated part throughout this entire game for them. It allowed Joe Burrow to sit back there and take some of these shots, and this was the biggest one of the entire game. And so Mike Zimmer calls up a blitz. Bashad Breland is staring at Joe Burrow basically through Jamar Chase's half of the 20, half of the 50-yard touchdown. Uh, Bashad Breland is just looking back at Joe Burrow and basically loses the receiver who, who sprints past him. The ball placement's perfect by Joe Burrow. The catch, obviously, right in stride as Jamar Chase scores that touchdown. And Breland has no chance because he's looking back at the quarterback, expecting a quick throw because of the play call. And that's what was interesting about that. When you see that play, you think, wow, Bashad Breland getting beat deep. How can that happen? Mike Zimmer blamed himself. Mike Zimmer said it was my play call, put him in a blitz. The blitz didn't get home. Breland was expecting a quick pass, and therefore you've got you've got the guy getting beat deep. And, and there really is no safety help. There's nobody else to blame. Um, this was a quarters coverage where, where Breland is supposed to be uh, in charge of his deep quarter of the field. A safety's got the other quarter. Safety's got the other quarter and so forth. So there really is nobody that's going to help him, and it's a sideline throw on the go route. And, uh, yeah, you can blame the defensive coordinator, the head coach, and Mike Zimmer, and, and obviously Bashad Breland for not uh, staying stride for stride with a guy, a, a star rookie in Jamar Chase. Yeah, so basically it's a perfect storm, right? It's You call a blitz. You're right. You, he's trying to maybe either get a sack, influence a, a quick throw over the middle or something where you're going to get a guy down quick and, and burn some clock and maybe – you know, make them kick a long field goal at the, at the worst, maybe get a turnover out of it, maybe get a sack, something like that. Blitz doesn't get home, though. So you're rushing six, it sounds like, your, your front four plus two linebackers. That You would think usually that's going to get you at least a decent amount of pressure is not going to be able to get you a deep ball. So that's that's problem one. Problem two is, you're right, Breland is, because of the blitz, expecting a quicker throw. So he's kind of peaking, che- cheating in on that. Third problem is Jamar Chase is really fast. Like you said, he's... He, He's going to, you know, he's a rookie. He's got wheels. He knows he and Joe Burrow played together before, even though this is, you know, their, their debut game together in the NFL, they played together at LSU and Joe Burrow makes a perfect throw. Once he gets open and runs past Breland, it's basically, you know, the four components you needed for that play to be what it was. Uh, all four of them clicked for the Bengals. Yeah, and I think that's the, the big thing about this play, this this 50-yard touchdown, because the rapport that Burrow has with Chase is so evident because as Burrow, or excuse me, as Chase gets 15 yards into his go route, he's still got 35 yards to go to the end zone. Burrow has already gotten rid of that ball. That's part of what helps beat the blitz is the fact it was such a quick throw and that Burrow's perfectly anticipating Chase's speed, almost as if he had done it at LSU for years in terms of knowing if I throw this ball at the 10 yard line, when, when Chase is at the 35, he's going to be able to catch it in stride. And that's how perfect and and succinct and um, in rhythm their timing is and how quickly that play happens. Um, I'm looking at it right now. As soon as Burrow releases the ball, Breland is still step for step with Chase, but Chase just turns on the burners and just goes right by him. And, And that timing is the big thing. So you bring up the rapport that he's got with Burrow that shows. And this is week one. This is Chase's first NFL game. A year ago, the Vikings weren't even playing Justin Jefferson. And so that's, you can tell, that's years of a quarterback and a wide receiver getting to know each other. A couple more things. You know, beyond that play, like you said, Breland had his ups and downs. I think Ben Gessling in his Monday kind of follow had, uh, had Breland getting targeted per pro football focus, I think, eight times, five completions, over 100 yards. 
he kind of got banged up on that play we we just referenced too, and he had that offseason shoulder surgery, and he landed pretty hard on on that shoulder. It looked like on that play when he was trying to make a you know a tackle down at around the five yard line that ended up not working out. Um, what was overall? What did you get the sense of? You know how how the corners played the two you know the three new corners really Alexander Patrick Peterson and Breland and what did Mike Zimmer think of you know kind of how that all played out? Yeah, it was interesting. the The Chiefs really didn't test Patrick Peterson or really Mackenzie Alexander all that much. It seemed like their opportunities and they wanted to go after Breland and that touchdown to Jamar Chase on the go route not too dissimilar from what happened in the preseason when we saw Patrick Mahomes to Tyree Kill for a 35-yard score on a sideline go route to uh, over Bashad Breland. So this is a situation where the, the Vikings clearly have what is still considered a weak link in their secondary. Uh, what I found interesting is Mike Zimmer still clearly believes in Bashad Breland, and this is maybe born out of necessity. They need him to be that stout uh, uh, starting corner opposite Patrick Peterson. He is the number two corner on this team. He is going to play every down. And the book on Breland, this is his fourth NFL team. He's bounced around. He's always been this kind of inconsistent guy where he flashes um, uh, an ability to be physical on some of these underneath routes. He deflected a ball in overtime. That was a great play on the third down that really led to the Vikings being able to try to win that game before Dalvin Cook fumbled. Um, Breland has that in his game. He's, he's typically a really good tackler. And so the fact that he had missed so many tackles in this game, I think it was, I'd counted up three missed tackles from him alone, including a big one on T Higgins. And he was able to slip down the field, I think for some 20 yard run uh, in the second half of that game. And that that's uncharacteristic of, of Bashad Breland. So Mike Zimmer's confidence, I think is derived from the fact that he's seen this guy play before for green Bay, even at a much higher level, and he's hoping he's going to be able to kind of level out these inconsistencies and get better play out of them. Um, and that's going to be the book on him moving forward. But Breland's always been this kind of guy. So I do wonder, it's got to be some Mike Zimmer, Carl Scott, who's the defensive backs coach. They got to work some magic in getting this NFL veteran who's six, seven years into his career to finally start playing at that high level more consistently, because we saw all of it, the entire roller coaster on Sunday in Cincinnati with Breland. Good stuff. Andrew Kramer, as always, go follow him. Go, go read the full film review, Star Tribune, startribune.com. We will do this again next week, and who knows what the big play will be coming off of the Vikings against Arizona. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It's a weekly treat on Daily Delivery. Keith Rashad joins me for my least favorite team is my favorite team. We're going to do this every week of the NFL season, recapping the Vikings game, talking about what we liked and what we didn't like. Uh, Keith, would you say they were your favorite team or your least favorite team when you watched the game on Sunday? Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't even remember a time when they were my favorite team anymore. They're just, they're just miserable. They're just miserable and they make everything miserable. How, how, how classic was that? Just, it was like, it kind of, you know, and this is going to, for you, this is going to be like the ultimate insult, but it kind of reminded me of a Mike Tice coached game where like, you've got, you've got a lot of good players, right. And some good things happen and they give you this like belief, but they just do a million dumb things and make mistakes at the absolute wrong time. And of course, final score here, 27, 24. And then of course it's like, 
the one guy that you think you maybe can count on in this whole mess makes the biggest mistake of the game, which is the Dalvin Cook fumble that that, that basically turns the game in overtime. So, A, respond to the allegations that this was a Mike Tice-esque game, and, uh, and B, um, how much did you hate it? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that I will ever hate a Vikings head coach as much as I hated Mike Tice. I know you hated uh, Tice. I thought he was okay, but, you know, that's just me. Just, I mean, and part of it was Red McCombs, too. That was right. just a bad era of, of Vikings football. But the, you and I talked about in a previous podcast, and we talked about just in life, right, that they needed seven things for to go right for them to have success this season. Yes. And it didn't look very good in the preseason. Uh, we said this could be a reset button, but it wasn't a reset button, but everything went wrong. And, and they lost this game. They, they did not happen to be beaten by a better opponent. They clearly lost this stupid game because they are a bad and stupid and awful team. And, and we all saw, we all saw the, the, the big stuff. We all saw that they had 153 penalties for 2000 yards Right. And the <laughs> Is that what it was? Yeah, I, I checked. I checked the stats before before I got okay. on with you. Okay. Was, yeah, that's exactly right. But I want to highlight something else, and I, I wonder if you caught this as well too. That okay. I found utterly infuriating. Right. End okay. of the first half. End of yes. the first half. They get the ball back. There's under two minutes. Right. They have a. They have a. a the potential for a drive here. Yeah. Is this and, when it was? Is this when it was seven seven? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I believe it's seven seven. Very end of the second half. Or pardon me, the end of the first half. And so they get the ball back. They have the opportunity to try to do a little bit of something. There's not enough time to, to really do a whole heck of a lot, right? But they get themselves into third down. And it's third down, and there's I don't know, 20 seconds left or whatever the deal. So this is this is when it was 14 7 after they after they had scored the long touchdown. Okay. Got okay. It. I'm I'm sorry. That's right. okay. But they get the ball back, they have a chance to do something. It gets to third down. Right. It gets to yes. third down. Cincinnati has no timeouts left. Right. They were on something like their 30 30 yard line. They there was not a lot of hope for success. It was third and 53 again. Like yeah, they, they found themselves. Which is like they had like a million third and longs. Ben Gessling wrote about that. It was a really good kind of second day story. But yeah, go on. Right. And so uh, here it is. There's just something like 20 seconds left. And and you're thinking to yourself, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, fine. You are too far away to do anything. It's third down. Just run the ball. Just run the ball and kill the half and don't worry about it, right? But they decide on third down and third and 53 to throw the ball and Kirk throws another incompletion and then they have to punt the ball away to Cincinnati and, and nothing happened, right? The, the guy ran the, the punt out of bounds and it wasn't yeah. a big deal. But it was, it was one of those moments where I just wanted to tear what's left of my hair out it by the utter stupidity, what are you doing throwing that ball, right? And it, it was indicative of an offensive coordinator that, that didn't seem to be able to read the situation. It was indicative of a team that doesn't know what to do under pressure. It was indicative of the stupidity that seems to pervade the entirety of this, tu- this stupid team. And it was a small thing, right? It was a small thing, but it was just one of those really dumb things that's going to end up haunting this team throughout the course of what's going to be a three and 14 season. So you're down on this. I'm, you know, this is good. I'm glad, glad you brought up the end of the first half. This is how you remind me of just 
the stuff that went on in the end of that first half where they had the three timeouts, they had, what was it, like a minute and a half left, and Cincinnati had one timeout left. So you're thinking worst-case scenario at the end of that half, you're going to get, you're going to, you know, you try a pass, doesn't work, maybe you'll run the ball a couple times and just kind of try to run the half out. But they they mismanaged the clock so poorly. They end up punting to Cincinnati with like a minute 13 left. Cincinnati comes down and gets that touchdown so fast that the Vikings get the ball back again, like you said, and still can't do anything with all, with all those timeouts that the end of the first half and Andrew Kramer and I talked about that a little bit in our film review, talking about, you know, Breland and just the the mistakes he made in that game. But the end of that first half was really, you know, yeah, there was stuff that happened in the second half over time. They could have escaped, you know, escaped with the win there, but that was really where the game turned. It was, Seven nothing. Then it was seven seven. You're like, okay, they got the ball back. They can do something here, especially with Cincinnati needing getting the ball back to start the second half. You're like, okay, put together a drive here, or at the very least, get to the half at seven seven. And instead, it's down fourteen seven. And that was just a really disappointing two minute stretch. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, people aren't going to necessarily remember that aspect of this game. There are lots of other things that you can point to, but it just was indicative of the problems that this team has in many ways and, and the lack of capacity to deal with the higher pressure situations. Yeah, exactly. And so it was, you know, it was that it was the, the, you know, you, for the, you know, for people who don't know, you watch these games generally after the fact you avoid the score all day. And then you kind of watch it quickly, right? Like in a 45 minute to an hour window. Is that correct? Yeah, I I am a single parent with a five-year-old child, and so I have not had the time to sit down and watch a three-hour football game for, oh, let's say five years. <laughs> yes. Right. Some people some people say that correlation is not causation. Uh, I, I think this might be the exception that proves the rule. Yes. So given that, did it feel to you even more absurd, the number of penalties? Because you saw them all in a very tight window happening. I saw him over a three and a half hour. It was a long game. I saw it over three and a half hours. You saw like a billion flags against the Vikings in a very tight window. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just that more, that much more. uh, It was just that much more to see it happen that quickly. Right. There was what 15 total. Yeah. I think there was 11 that were accepted. And I think there was a bunch more that were declined. Almost right. all of them, all of, almost all of them on the offense, and a lot of them on the, you know, either pre-snap motion penalty, you know, false starts or holding, and it was just the offensive line was not good. Yeah, you know that 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 reminds me of something. That I just wish, I just wish there had been one member of the Twin Cities media courageous enough to perhaps point out the possibility that the offensive line might be a problem. If only somebody, if only somebody had said something. It's, it's like, here's the thing. And we've talked about That's the about kind of al- analysis you won't get on that stupid access. <laughs> with those here's the thing. Like, okay. So last year they went with, they, they, they were completely inexperienced in the secondary, especially with their, their corners. And so what they do this year, they went and loaded up. They got, you know, they went and got Mackenzie Alexander back. They got Rashad Breland who, you know, give or take, wasn't that great in game one, but we'll see. And they obviously got Patrick Peterson. They like basically brought in reinforcement, like, we are going to learn this lesson. We can't just have inexperienced little bit of depth at corner. And 
they're doing the exact damn same thing at offensive line this year. The, 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 the fact that they didn't bring in more experience on the offensive line to bolster, you know, whatever they had is unconscionable. It's a failure of roster construction. Well, absolutely. And the, the measures that they did take clearly aren't panning out, at least for right now. I mean, I, I don't know. I, you can tell me, the, in your opinion, the extent to which the Vikings should be faulted for what's happening with Christian Derrissaw right now. I mean, should they have known that this was going to linger? Should they have got better, a better sense of, of where he was at physically? I don't know. I think they seem to imagine that things were taken care of with the surgery in January or whatever it was supposed to be. Uh, it, it, but that's a failure, right? We've spent this third round pick on a guy that everybody assumes is going to play right away. Uh, doesn't seem to be ready to, to take the field, as it were. It, you're absolutely right. The, the, this has been a consistent problem for so many years now, and their unwillingness to take it seriously is utterly baffling and very Vikings-esque. I've even thought about, should I just set up literally plexiglass around where I sit? Now, let's spend the last few minutes on a little bit of a bright spot. We were, I was very concerned. Oh, you found one? I, well, I was very concerned last week about the kicking operation. I was worried about, you know, they brought in this new punter who's the new holder, and they got this, you know, Greg Joseph, who hasn't really kicked in much of any meaningful NFL games or certainly any pressure situations. Greg Joseph makes a very long pressure kick at the end of regulation to get them to overtime. Uh, the new punter, Barry, just absolutely launches one in overtime that kind of frankly almost won them the game. Like he, he had a 63-yard punt with no return that basically took them out of a hole and put Cincy at their own nine and kind of led to that drive where they were going to probably score there. Um, and, and not just the kicking game, did you know the Vikings woke up today in first place. I actually did know that. That's so stupid. That's so fundamentally stupid. Because they did not lose a conference game. Everybody else lost a conference game. They did not lose a conference game. So by only losing a, to an AFC opponent, they are the cream of the NFC North crop. So there you go. You know, I will say this. I will say this. I know <clears throat> we got to wrap this up here. Uh, I think it's safe to say that I am middle-aged, right? Yeah, you you're, find right yourself you're right there. When you find yourself playing in an over 40 league or their 40 hockey league and you're really comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're probably middle age. Right. So on my time on this earth, I, I, there are a couple of things that I've, that I've learned. Right. Okay. One is that uh, you are not allowed to speak as much ill of your mother-in-law as your wife is. Okay. You cannot do that. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, and the second thing is, you know, you probably shouldn't take too much out of the first game of an NFL season. Yes. It, those are always the weirdest and, and the strangest. So if there's a ray of hope, it's that this is the first week of the season and goofy, silly things happen, right? Yeah. Uh, that being said, every worry that you had about this team manifested itself in that game. Yeah, everything right? except the kicker. Everything except, except the, the kicker. Game. That was it. it Right, right. That's about the only thing that that worked well. It kind of felt like it kind of felt almost as if the offense could have used a little bit more time together. Yeah, right? funny you mentioned that. They could have maybe, don't you think? 
I mean, it's possible. I, I, what could have possibly prevented them from having significant time together? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the quarterback missing 10 days of camp. Maybe the head coach not playing them very much uh, during the preseason. I don't know. Just just whatever. Pick your own, choose your own adventure with this team, I guess is what I would say. There's, it's really not for me to say what could have been Uh, just, they, they, you know, they, they tried their best. Okay. They got some exercise. They ran around. It was a very hot and humid day. They tried their best. Okay. Hey, I'm, I'm glad they got the exercise. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Randy Johnson covers gopher football for the Star Tribune, joins me right now on Daily Delivery. Randy, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. Good. Good to have you back. We'll do this every Tuesday, pretty much part of our Tuesday morning Nickelback coverage here on Daily Delivery. Um, Jack Kroger reference. Good. What's that? Jack Kroger reference there. Huh? There we go. It's, it's what we call it. We call it. We, did, we, we actually we, we, we work in a, uh, a song lyric, too. That was in a different segment. So you, you listen for that. You're not eligible. You're not eligible to win. I'm sorry, but uh, other people okay. are. So please listen for uh, for that. Um, so. Gophers are up 21-3 at halftime over Miami, Ohio. You're thinking, okay, you know, we're, we're learning some things. This is, you know, a team that at least is capable of, you know, having a comfortable win against, you know, a decent opponent, not a great opponent, but, you know, a, a team from at least not a low, low conference. Then it gets pretty tight in the second half, gets to a point where it's 21-20 before they eventually, you know, find a little bit more breathing room, 31-26 final. What, uh, from your estimation, and I didn't see all of the game. I was kind of in and out because of some youth sports. I did go back and watch a lot of it later. From your perspective, what what did we learn from this game that's you know either good or bad as we kind of think about it in the context of you know just that one game plus what we had learned from Ohio State? Well, first, uh, one of the goods w- w- was Trey Potts running back. He filled in uh, pretty well for um, Mo Ibrahim being out for the year. Uh, you know, he, he they. The running game didn't seem to miss a beat a whole lot. It, it wasn't maybe quite as uh, dominant as Ibrahim uh, um, was back there, but 34 carries, 178 yards. That's, you know, that's a nice afternoon. Uh, you know, he moved the chains and he, um, they rode him in the second half when they needed to solve away the game, away the game. They, uh, uh, they got the, the touchdown um, uh, to put him up 28, uh, 20 after the big, uh, Kick returned by by Bucky Irving. Uh, and that drive was all runs by by um, Trey Potts with uh, ending with a twenty a twenty one yard touchdown run. Um, at the end of the game, they get the ball back with three forty three left. He, he they hand it to him five times. He gets uh, a couple first downs and, and salts it away. So they learned that they they got a back. They got one back there that they know that they can rely on. I think they don't want to run him as many as thirty four times all the time. Uh, I today in his press conference because saying that basically, yeah, they, they want uh, somebody to develop behind him, you know, to, to step up and uh, give him uh, so he doesn't have to have that many carries. Um, that's for the, for the bad. I, it, it second, second half, uh, they came out uh, uh, three and out a couple times. And then one drive that went about uh, six plays. It uh, basically some drop passes. One time they had a nice uh, pass going to, 
Dalen Wright, and he slips when he makes his cut. Uh, that probably would have been a, a big first down gainer, if not uh, to the house. Uh, they just weren't as crisp on offense, and that left the door open for Miami to to make a few plays, and they did. And all of a sudden, we're in a, they're in a, uh, the Gophers are in a bit of a meat grinder. Yeah, how, how do we, you know either post game or you know after that? How did how did, was that explained? Did they kind of was it a lapse in concentration? Was it a you know you're up 21-3 against a team you know you're probably supposed to beat. Do you get a little complacent, or is it just, you know, a, the luck of the how things how games go? How do how do you think they explained what happened in that second half? I think it was more of yeah they they just didn't take advantage of their offensive opportunities in the second half. They they came out passing right away on the on their first possession and three incompletions, uh, and they had to punt. It, you know that that uh, slowed them down a bit. Uh, they basically, um, you know, there were some drops in there and that uh, PJ was basically saying how, you know, they got to be mentally tougher on those plays, those receivers that, you know, just concentrate more, uh, that type of situation. Um, it yeah, just kind of showed that uh, their margin for error isn't always that big in, in winning a game. It's a good reminder too. I mean, even when they were you know, having their 11 and two season a couple of years ago, I mean, the non-conference was pretty dicey for them. They won a lot. My, all of those non-conference games were very close, weren't they? Yeah, they they easily could have lost all three of those games. Uh, the South Dakota State opener, they needed a fumble by the Jackrabbits uh, late to, that they recovered and took in for, for the, the winning score. Um, Fresno State, they, <laughs> we had that uh, the uh, amazing catch by Ottman Bell uh, in the back of the end zone uh, and then followed up by the um, you know, swoop out of nowhere interception. Yeah. Yeah. Winfield, and, right? And you're, and then they're uh, Georgia Southern. They're down was it fourth and ten, fourth and 15. fourth and a lot. It was third and forever uh, and fourth and, and they, lot. yeah, they they converted it. Um, uh, Demetrius Douglas is a huge catch, and then went down and won it on a Tyler Johnson touchdown catch. It, yeah, it um, that year uh, they 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 got got through those, and then they took the momentum from that and went went on to a great season. But uh, I don't know if they have that. All those type of playmakers this year, especially on defense. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, before we get too far into Colorado, which I want to talk about for a few minutes, the you know one concern they've got to have is, you know, they they know their defensive secondary is inexperienced this year, but they haven't been able to rush the quarterback. I don't think to the degree they want to. They don't have a sack in two games, and I feel like they thought their defensive line was going to be pretty good, or at least could could compete. What what have we seen from that so far? Yeah, they've been inconsistent. That's the main thing. Uh, they just they they're not getting the the, the push up front, obviously, to, to get the pressure that they need. They they got some on uh, on Saturday, uh, especially uh, when um, Tyler Newman had had or Tyler Newman had that uh, uh, third or fourth quarter interception uh, that was that was caused by some pressure. Uh, but yeah, the, the consistency just hasn't been there, and it's. Um, it you know it could bite them one of these times if they if they don't get a little bit more pressure. So what do, what do we you know spinning ahead to Colorado you know a road game, you know another you know it's a, a quality program at at the very least. What what's the outlook for that game in your estimation? Well, I'm sure uh, Colorado's gotten their attention what they did over the weekend. They uh, played number five Texas A&M tough, uh, losing ten seven in Denver. Um, Texas A&M was out with their starting quarterback got hurt. Uh, so that slowed them down a bit. Uh, 
Colorado's leading most of the game. Um, you know, then at the end they get the ball back and just couldn't move it. Uh, and you know, I ended up losing by by three. Uh, but you know, holding that Texas A&M team to ten points was was impressive in its own right. Um, yeah, so Gophers know they're stepping up in class. I would say an opponent, and you know, you're playing a Power Five team on the road. Um, I think they've probably uh, kept the offense pretty vanilla this, this past weekend against Miami. Maybe they'll have some wrinkles to show uh, that they didn't show that they'll use against Colorado. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be a, a bigger challenge, that's for sure. Last thought, you know, PJ Flex teams, I feel like, have gotten better as the years go as the year goes on. But we're only in game three, and it feels like a pretty important one. How where's where do you imagine improvement could come most quickly on this year's team? I would say that they'll, well, there's a good chance they get Chris Altman Bell back so that you get your best receiver there. And so, and the way that Dylan, uh, Dalen Wright has developed, um, you know, you got a nice one, two punch there with uh, Daniel Jackson as a third. That's, that's, that's a decent trio. Um, you got a, you got a tight end that showed against uh, Ohio state that he could, uh, Catch the ball pretty well, and Brevin Span Ford. Um, obviously, your offensive line is is set, and it's it's doing very well on defense. Um, there's a good chance uh, Jordan Howden returns uh, safety. Um, he's had a thigh injury. Uh, PJ listed him as day to day, as is Ottman Bell. Um, uh, Dalen Wright uh, left in the third quarter uh, against Miami, but uh, PJ today said he, he'll be fine. Um, but yeah, on defense, uh, the secondary and the pass rush are two areas that, uh, there's room to improve and they, sh- they should get better as the season goes on as long as they stay healthy. Looking forward to it. Should be a good one in Colorado on Saturday. You will be there and I believe Lavelle will be there too, right? Yep. Lavelle will be there too. Yes. Double coverage in Colorado should be fun. Read that coverage and start Tribune, start Tribune.com. Randy Johnson. Thank you so much. We'll do this again next Tuesday. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. That will do it for today. Hope you liked the first installment of Tuesday Morning Nickelback. Remember, hit me up on Twitter if you heard a Nickelback song lyric sometime during today's show. I'll have Chip Scoggins on Wednesday show to talk about his new football across Minnesota column. Really good, strong debut to that that went online uh, earlier this week. And talk, talking to Chip about that, excited for that Plenty of good stuff coming up later this week as well. Be sure to listen all week. Thank you for listening today. I am Michael Rand. Please download this podcast, write a review if you would. Don't forget to do that. And I will see you again on Wednesday.